Well, hello there. I'm Karen Sander. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly, a program for the over 50s, those uniquely wonderful baby boomers. My aim is to educate, motivate and inspire you to embrace the exciting journey of life for decades to come. So stay tuned to meet a variety of guests who will share their stories and passions to help us gain insight into the ways to live a happier, healthier life. Welcome listeners. I have three very inspirational people in the studio today for this episode of Aging Fearlessly. As well as being hardworking, they love their downtime, especially when it comes to travel and in particular adventure travel. The over 50s are the fastest growing demographic when it comes to adventure travel. The truth is the over 50s still have a lot of energy and they are often very fit and healthy, and they love to give things a go. Getting off the beaten track, either trekking or cycling or some other type of sport, gives a very different perspective of a country. It allows travellers to immerse themselves in the culture and to see a place away from the tourist traps. The 30-year-olds, however, are opting for more laid-back holidays, by the pool, a place where they can put their feet up, have a few cocktails and get away from their exhausting careers. So welcome, Kath, Grant and Simon. Hello. Hi there. Are you Thank here you. with me, Simon? I'm here. I'm, I think I'll call you Simon through this. Is that all right? <laughs> Bolivar. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Uh, adventure travel as you know and you guys are so brave and gung-ho when it comes to holidays so what are the types of adventure holidays that you guys like to go on well i'll jump in the most recent one we went to of course uh was to go to peru and we did some time in bolivia as well but in peru doing a wonderful trek in the andes and ultimately visiting machu picchu on the final day of that trek, which was an amazing experience. And what is it, Simon, that you like about a holiday like that? Well, I mean, when I look back at that one, I think being able to get away with a group of like-minded people, we all knew each other one way or another. Well, this was part of a Cantu Foundation. Yeah, many people have heard of Cantu. So I know that your listeners have have heard about Cantu before. So this was an organisation, or this was a a, a trek that was organised by Cantu. We had about 17 people and it was really about challenging yourself a little bit. You know, there were long, tough days, but still very doable. Uh, if you'd done the preparation and just amazing scenery and just an amazing experience with a group of like-minded people. Thanks. I know because I was on that trek and so were Kath and so were Grant. And we're going to come back and talk quite a bit about this particular trek and what's involved in getting into a trek. But Grant, you've done other sort of adventure holidays. What come to mind that you like to do? The adventure holidays we have tend to be ones which have a level of activity so we might be on a bike we might be and it's a way of traversing seeing through a country from one end to another at a pace that is fast enough to get to see some changes but slow enough to 
to enjoy it, to to smell the roses, to be able to stop like we did in a recent one cycling through the Czech Republic. And it was super hot. They're having heat waves over there in Europe at the moment. And we came around a bend on the cycle path and there were 100 people sitting on the riverbank and hopping in the river and swimming. And so we said, well, if that's what the Czechs are doing, we're going to join them too. That was good fun for you, huh? After you've been on a hot cycle, you and your wife Zoe. Yep. And you stopped for a while and joined the locals. Yeah, and that's the opportunities that you get out of adventure travel that I don't find it's going to happen if you're in a car. You're going to be down the freeway and you just, even if you see it, it's gone and the moment's passed. And the same if you're on a bus, on one of these big tour buses, you, you know, sort of wave them by or you might get to stop and see, but you don't ever get to take part, do you? That, like, the spontaneity, it's that opportunity for spontaneity is what I want to be missing. talk about something spontaneous later that you've just brought to mind. And, oh, Kathy. You did an adventure holiday, was it last year or the year before, with 19 days, was that? Um, no, that was Jenny. Oh, that was Jenny. With the other girls off to um, base camp. And so the ones I tend to do are the walking tours as well, yeah. trips and adventures. Yeah. And I like getting out into nature. That's what's in it for me, away from the cityscapes and away from the hustle and bustle. And getting from A to B, as Grant said... At a pace that you can really absorb where you are, but the variety in landscapes often changes, sometimes even within the same day. Mm -hmm. And coping with all of that, whatever the weather may be, and having a good lot of fun with whoever you're with along the way. And just putting a bit of pressure on yourself from time to time to make it over that next hill or climb that mountain, and I like the personal challenge. And because it's not always a bed of roses, is it? No, it's not always that at all. You might be feeling not great on one day and you might have six or seven more days ahead of you and you just have to suck it up and make the changes that you need to make to continue on and and away you go. So you had an example of that on the trek that we did in Peru, didn't you? Yes, there were a few of us that came down with a gastro sort of situation and I got mine the night before we were about to depart on our camping trek and it probably hit me the first day and then tapered off after that but uh, amongst all of us and Simon being the provador of good antibiotics um, <laughs> we managed and it was great so everybody's looking out for everyone else and that you know you, you just went at your own pace you didn't feel as though you were slowing anyone down but um, you still enjoyed everything. Yeah the antibiotics that's a bit of a part of the preparation because when you're in the middle of nowhere you can't just go visit the doctor. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it helps if you have a few along with you. (laughs) It does, yes. We had a situation where we had doctors and then somebody with a good medicine cabinet. So it was a good combination. There was a medicine cabinet from you and a medicine cabinet from Leanne. Oh, my goodness. She nearly needed a whole mule of her own to carry the medicines. Grant... The Czech Republic is a beautiful place to cycle. It's a fabulous place. This was a new discovery for us. Crisscrossed with quiet cycle paths through beautiful forests and farmlands. The countryside's as neat as a pin. It's an extraordinary place. So. I've never... Neat as a pin? That's yeah. a good one for me. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> yeah. Really, really beautiful. Yeah. Not stunning in the, the Swiss Alps sense, but just a really pleasant, just you know, lovely native sort of unspoilt forest. And like Kath, that ability of getting outdoors 
and being in the outdoors um, to really immerse yourself in nature is something that we always look for in our tra- adventure travels, our travels. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. Welcome back to the Aging Fearlessly program and today we're speaking about adventure holidays and I have with me Simon, Grant and Kath who were recently part of a trek in Peru that I was on and uh, we've got lots to share with you today. So we've talked about trekking, we've talked about your cycle. What other types of adventure holidays are good for the over 50s? Well, as you know, I love swimming and swimming has been a, uh, a big part of my life for a long time. I swim, you know, multiple days a week. And so through that sort of fraternity, opportunities come up to do various types of swims overseas. And uh, that's often a lot of fun, particularly if they can do them as relays and can be uh, really great. You've got one coming up in, is it October or November? No, it's actually at the end of August. Oh, so it's really close. You must be in peak training right now. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get into shape. I'm in a relay with five other guys who are all faster than me. So and is it a pool relay when, that you're going to do? No, we're <laughs> going to swim from Lanai to Maui in Hawaii. So it's an inter-island swim straight across the channel, which is about 16 k's. Any and sharks? we'll do it as a relay. Oh, there's those out there. I've heard about those sharks. I don't think there's any out there. <laughs> no, we've actually... Um, they round them up, don't they, for the swim no. and put them in a cage till you're finished? <laughs> yeah, well, I've had... A couple of interesting incidents doing it. This will be about the eighth time that I've done this, I think. And we've had a bit of an altercation with a 10-foot tiger shark on one occasion in the past, but there was no damage done. But uh... Ladies and gentlemen, he does have all his limbs still. (laughs) The altercation wasn't as bad as he's making out. (laughs) No, so tell us more about that type of swim. How long does it take you and what's your preparation for something like that? Well, that's a swim that... Like I said, it's about 16 k's, so there's six of you do it. Uh, you have to have a boat, and there's probably about 50 teams involved. So it's That's quite a huge a, amount. It's quite a lot of people out there at, uh, at one time, but you only have one swimmer in the water. You do 30 minutes each until everyone's had one swim, and then you do 10 minutes each yep. until you get there. And obviously, if you're a group of faster swimmers, you'll get there sooner and you might only swim twice. But if you're on the slow side in terms of swimming, it can be quite a long day out there. And uh, if it's not nice weather, it can get a little bit rough, but it can also be as like a bath. I Yeah, so I was going to say conditions will really determine what it's like for you guys. So you don't know when you're training for this like say today, what it's going to be like at the end of August on that particular day that you're in the water. No. So you've got to prepare. Absolutely. And uh, I guess, you know, if you do a bit of ocean swimming, which I do down in Manly, you know, a few mornings a week, you know, you get all sorts of weather during winter here. And so that's good preparation from a what the surface of the water might be like, although it's a, it's a lot balmier in Hawaii. In yeah, September. it was 15.4 yesterday if you were practising. <laughs> oh, my. It's getting chilly. Yeah, because I had a half wetsuit on. I didn't go without yesterday. Yeah. Um, coming to swimming holidays, I've actually done one that's a little easier than yours, and it was in Greece, and we swam island to island. Now, that sounds really challenging. There was one day where we swam a five-kilometre from... Um, Catalonia to Ithaca 
But a lot of the swims there are just along the coast and they're only like three kilometres and you get out and you go for a really nice lunch and then you get back in in the afternoon and you do another two kilometres somewhere. And you're on shore at night, so you're in a hotel or a, a villa and you have a good time and then you're on the boat and doing the same the next day and it's a much more relaxed type of swim holiday than what you're doing. Yeah, and the great thing about it, one like that is you pretty much swim at your own pace. And Yeah. You know, if you've done the training and you're a swimmer, then getting in and swimming at a comfortable pace is something that's like, you know, going for a jog or going for a walk, so... And, you know, when you get in off the boat after that one, because they meet you on the boat wherever you're finishing, they have nuts and chocolates on deck and it's like a party, you know. Just eat up and restore your energy. So, yeah, you just have to do enough training and like swimming. Yeah. If you don't like it, you wouldn't do it. But there's so many over 50s and choosing this type of holiday, it's um, amazing how many countries now like Croatia offers swims i've got some friends going soon there's all parts of greece um that you can do it and you know it's a really wonderful type of holiday so there's also those similar water-based activities kayaking sea kayaking that's an adventure holiday we've done which is very similar the the notion you paddle for a bit in the morning at your own pace then you get rewarded and you can sort of choose all the nice food because you've done a decent amount of exercise. I think we're actually it's getting to the... free eating, isn't I think, it? I think we're actually getting to the truth of why we like our adventure holidays. Is you, you can enjoy the food without, without the, the guilt. Yes. Yeah, and we'll come back to that too because the experience we've been on, it would amaze people how great the food was. And you're also a skier, Grant. Yes, yeah, so there's um, skiing, again, is something that can be used as an event, as a... Um, adventure holiday so it in, in itself it's always outdoors by definition mm-hmm. um other than maybe if you stop in Abu Dhabi on the way through and go to their indoor thing but, oh. <laughs> yeah but, but I think we're sort of uh digressing there yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so skiing is something that you can find people doing of all ages I've I've been skiing with people 80s not into their 80s and 90s um probably not a sport to take up when you're 80 but um it's it's one of those lifetime activities. The swimming is something you can do for a long time. Cycling you can do for a very long time. Walking, trekking. Yeah. All of these things can be done. If you keep active, we find that you can just keep doing it. So they're all suitable. They're not sort of high-performance, high-burnout activities. And, Kath, does anything else, any other type of sport come to mind that people go on adventure holidays for or...? Or um, Simon? I, I think we've probably covered most of those things. Um, but the, the one that is there for everyone, and usually in most countries, is the walking. You need very little equipment. Um, it's normally, can be, you know, high-end or it can be minimally co- at minimal cost to the participant. And you just get out there and embrace it. I think... You can do the camping option as well, or you can stay in glamping very nice places, and you can provide the food and drink for yourself, or you can be provided for. So I think there's lots of options for everybody to enjoy. Welcome back to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. You are listening to Aging Fearlessly with Karen. Please go to Facebook and like the page Aging Fearlessly.
My guests today are Simon, Grant and Kath, and we're talking about adventure holidays. Grant, you mentioned eventing holidays. Well, Simon was talking about his swim in Hawaii. Let us in on a bit of the eventing sort of holiday. Yeah, so this is a, a different approach to engaging with the, with the outdoors and the communities is instead of saying I'm going on a three-week trek in Peru or something like that, saying actually I'm going to go across like Simon, I'm going to go for a swim, a, a, a race in Hawaii for a week. It's one day, but I'll be there for two, a week or two weeks and so I'll do some training and some participation before I get there and do something in actually in Australia, Rottenness Island. There's a paddle race that I'll be going over to Perth and I'll spend a week in Perth before and after the race and sort of build a trip based around an event and that's the idea that I was interested in exploring or just bringing, highlighting the idea of building a trip around an event. Yeah, um, it's another a, purpose for going to yes, that place. Exactly. Yeah, and it's a great idea. I mean, I used to do a lot of outrigging for Sydney Outrigger and I used to race up at Hamilton Island so we'd go up there, I was a steerer for Sydney and we'd go up there and we'd you know, have a few days racing and a few little drinky poos, but it was fun. <laughs> and we were in the water, like you have a boat with those events as well, where you're coming and going, the, the, the paddlers are on the boat, off the boat, in the water, you know, whatever. Our recent trek in Peru, I want to talk about a couple of things. What did we do, our preparation? Well, we were organised because it was a Cantu Foundation adventure. We had a few group training sessions. Those that could make it would turn up either coastal based in Sydney uh, led by Annie or we would meet we had one in the Blue Mountains and spread out over a few months prior to departure to help us meet each other Mm -hmm. those that hadn't met and also to physically train for what we might encounter over there and the training yes we're all relatively fit but you don't have to be super fit do you no and I think that's one of the points that people need to remember that not all of these things have to be these incredibly arduous physical challenges and yeah. that you have to be the fittest person in the world to do it. And I think with choosing the right type of trek, and most of them are often rated easy or moderate or difficult and yep. you can see you know, how they're going to be and what sort of training might be to be required but sometimes you know it might be as simple as walking the dog for an hour every day if you did that you know you've probably done enough to be able to do some of the easier treks and uh, so it doesn't have to be a uh, you know really arduous challenge. And then people often wonder about okay so you're out trekking I'm used to my five star accommodation am I going to give that up well I'm here to say that we had 400 billion star accommodation can you tell us about that, Grant? Uh, so up in the, the highlands, in the high mountains of Peru, the air is so clear as the tents are set up for you as you're walking around in the evening. The star, it's just You can almost see without a moon. It is so bright from the starlight, and that's, that's what we're talking about. And that connection to the awesomeness and being, uh, feeling awe in nature. Do you remember the night that we heard that incredible na- noise and we were up near the Salcante Glacier and we'd only just gone to bed and it sounded like, you know, there was a train going through the place. A small avalanche yeah. followed by another one. And it sounded to me it was like crystals falling but really loud crystals. 
It was just amazing. I've got to admit, I didn't get up to investigate. I was all tucked into under my three layers and sleeping bag, and uh, yeah, I stayed zipped in. <laughs> it was minus seven that night. Yeah. It, it was pretty cold, and we had temperatures up to 29 when we were walking in the day, so it was quite extreme. Yeah, big fluctuations. I remember that night too, Kath. <laughs> I didn't get up either. I knew that we were, you know... It wasn't like we were in an avalanche path no. or anything. We knew it was far up in the mountains, I wasn't but you worried could still about hear it. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could still hear it. But what I was amazed about was we were so well looked after with food, weren't we? And our and our 11 muleteers and cooks and guides. Yeah, we had 17 people, I think, on the trek. We had 11, as you said, muleteers. muleteers. So these are the, the guys that are looking after the mules and the That they just let the go at night. Yep, and uh, we had 27 of them supporting us, so it wasn't too much of a hardship. All you had to do was walk all day with a day pack, and uh, when you arrived, your main pack would be there. They'd set up the tent, and they'd have tea and coffee ready for you, and they'd be cooking your dinner. And cordial, and cordial. And, and there'd be a snack before dinner, lunch, of course, lunches, those four-course lunches. The day. They were amazing. We. I have some photos, Grant, of your wife in one of them with the view out of the tent at what we, and I think you were in it, Simon, of this magnificent vista behind them while they were eating lunch. It was like, who gets to do this, you know? And we didn't see many people, did we? No, I think we came past about well, less than six. To me, that was a big part of the attraction going on the route that we took, not seeing m- barely or well, Two or three days we went without seeing other tourists and I thought that was our own personal adventure really right there. It was great to go to Machu Picchu but joining the rest of the tourists as we see, saw the buses snake up the hill and it was almost overwhelming with seeing the throngs. You know, it didn't take away from the moment but, you know, I think we were very lucky. The adventure before to me was just as good as actually coming over the hill and seeing Machu Picchu because Mm. learning about the people you're with and getting along with the people you're with and just being out there, meeting occasionally a villager. Well, it wasn't a villager even. It was a little house with a person, Mm. a couple of family members. It was little farmers and alpacas and, you know, other people with goats and mules and donkeys walking along trails. It was really you know, back to nature for me. And to your point, Karen, you mentioned something there, getting to know the other people. I think one of the great things about a a trek like that is, you know, we'd get up in the morning and have breakfast together and then you'd be out on the trail. Um, And you'd pretty much be walking most of the day, Mm -hmm. um, apart from all the breaks that you take and everything. But you would seem to sort of rotate through walking with different people at different times between different breaks. And you'd have the opportunity to have really long conversations with people that you would never otherwise have. Not the sort of conversations that you have when you go out for dinner or or in a group or anything like that, but really, you know, one-on-one, one-on-two, walking along, you learn a lot about other people. It's really... It was a really lovely part of the process, I thought. Yeah, it was. And, you know, you get used to other people's habits and you, gosh, you have to just, in a way, 
just get over yourself. Sometimes you've got to duck off into a bush for the loo and, you know, there's people all around you. and you it's may like, or may not be out of sight while you may, you're doing that. <laughs> Kath, what are you referring to? Um, yeah, I've got some incriminating photos there. Uh, no, but there's just so much that you, you learn about yourself. I know many a time I was just walking and thinking about my life in the last year or so and someone would rap and say oh you can't walk on your own and I go yeah yeah okay we'll have a chat for a while but you know you you just sort of get used to sometimes that quiet time and I think that's really important when you prepare for a holiday like this um, one of the big things I've been talking to travel agents and friends about is insurance do you guys are really conscious of insurance when you're traveling like this it's always a priority once the flight's booked the insurance is booked, usually for me within the same 24 hours. Yeah. Do you know that there's a, a travel agent that told me that a large proportion of the people that claim on their travel insurance is before they've actually travelled because something's gone wrong, they've had an accident, there's a, an illness in the family, that it's not just when you're travelling that you need this travel insurance. Yeah. So you actually have to claim it because you're not able to it's even it. go. Yeah. Yeah. Because we do lots of different things like this every year, one way or another, I've just got a kind of an annual travel insurance thing. So now I don't have to think, think about, about it. it every single time we're going away and doing it. I've mm. just got a 12-month plan. That's actually, if you do if you do a few trips a year... It's cheaper. That can yeah. be very effective. The other thing, because we are talking about adventure, mm-hmm. I, I also have... I do pay close attention to some of the, the finer print yep. in the travel policies because... Some of them don't cover adventure activities particularly well and you do need to be mindful because there's no point having insurance that doesn't cover you if you happen to be doing an activity that is outside the bounds. Mm-hmm. So trekking in Peru, you can't avoid do that over 3,000 metres and some policies exclude it because they think that's terribly high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we and went to nearly 5,000 metres yeah, in Peru. Yeah, so there would, be co- there would be policies that would not cover that. And so it's, the point is, for any adventure travel, you need to look and think about, I always look and ask myself, what am I likely to be doing and will this specific policy cover, cover me and my family for what we're, we're going to be encountering? Yeah, and yeah. Skiing, skiing's a really big one for that because a lot of people think, oh, you know, does, does it cover skiing? Well, they'll often cover skiing if it's in a resort. But if you're skiing backcountry or yeah. heli-skiing or doing something like that or going to faraway places then it can be very different. And, and, of course, you know, you can rack up big, big costs in uh, You certainly can. Accidents. Yeah, I know with the swim in, in uh, Greece too, they asked for special um, insurance and we had to show that as we, you know, when we actually paid our for our trip, we had to actually show that we had that insurance. Otherwise, you weren't going to get on the boat. You're listening to 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. To find out more, go to the website rnb.org.au. What are some of the benefits in an adventure holiday? Some of the health benefits, perhaps? So I was going to say, because I think we'll all we'll get and start talking about the physical health benefits, but I think there's mental health benefits. Engaging in nature, the, the Japanese have got a phrase, um, shinrin-yoku, which literally means forest bathing, but it's that notion of immersing oneself in nature um, and also the other sort of idea that that I look for is that sense of finding awe mm-hmm. and I think 
training ourselves or training myself to find that on on travel means that I can also more readily access that in my daily life back in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And that is then very, very good for a positive mental state and and keeping mentally healthy. I think that's so true. And for me, having access while we're away to the internet, not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We had no access when we were in Peru. How good is that? A digital detox. It was. Mm -hmm. Seven days of no Facebook, no social media, no emails and no phone calls. Yep. Although I charge my phone every night. Why? Photos. Photos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was the only reason we needed our Mm -hmm. phones. Because they're our cameras, our travel cameras. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you guys enjoy being out of touch like that as well? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You get a greater sense of what evolution actually assisted us to become you know and i think your wife in particular grant was madly playing banana banana grants banana grants the the games that you can take along on these Mm. these trips as well a little simple word game that's good for uh learning new things and keeping the the mind sort of active and And stimulated and And you do it in a group too yeah yeah and the conversation around the table at night no one's checking their phone other than maybe showing someone a photo from the day airdropping we could still do that (laughs) airdropping the photos but yeah isn't that a great you know it's such a great thing to sit around the table and just have a conversation with people any other health benefit well for me i lost three kilos and i know my legs became a lot stronger while I was walking because many of the days we would walk for, well, one day in particular, I think the longest was 18 kilometres. That was about day four and it was exhausting. But, you know, you got to the end of it and you felt great. I think when it's a holiday or an adventure holiday that goes for more than two to three days, you really do get changes within your different muscle groups. So one thing I noticed being a camping trip in Peru was that my ability to get levitate off the ground from the sleeping mat, duck out through the hole in the tent, through the flap, and stand up without touching the ground improved from day one to day seven I could do it hands-free by the end of it whereas I had to get out on all fours on day one so I I improved my hip strength and core strength I was pretty happy uh you noted me coming out of the tent one day on all fours (laughs) (laughs) I was pathetic I'm sure you improved Karen (laughs) I I crawled out of that tent some days and Kath would say Oh, being a physio, I sort of always check how people stand up um, when I'm assessing them. And I thought, well, don't assess me. She's just seen me crawl out and get up on all fours before I could actually stand. You did it very effectively. It wasn't graceful. (laughs) Isn't that one of the big things we all should be able to do as humans all through our life, to be able to get up off the floor? Get off off the ground, yeah. yeah. And actually do that Mm. a few times every day. It's great exercise. Mm. I know I've been seeing one of... Kath's friends a physio since I came back because I know in the future I want to do more of these treks and I know I have to really improve the function of my right knee before I start really racing off to do another one. There was um, the odd swim or two that happened on ours too. Grant, did you jump in? Yes, yes. uh, No great distances were swum, mind you. These were little roaring little torrents of freezing cold glacial water but uh, incredibly refreshing I think would be a word for it well I found it refreshing because it was the first real sort of dousing in water in about four days so it was nice but my my feet went numb 
as they touched the water because it was so cold. But it was just a bit of a laugh and fun, really. Yeah, it's just one of those things that was just uh, spontaneous ideas that some mad person had and we all went, okay, yes, let's do it. I think, who was the mad person that did it on the first day? Krista's husband. Yeah, Thomas. Thomas yeah. decided, yeah. So he we, did it at every opportunity. <laughs> he did. He was amazing, especially under that waterfall on the very, very last day. I was quite envious then, but I wasn't going to strip down mm. and shock you all. I suppose that's the other point about going on the, the camping trekking holiday that lasts for a week or so, is that you don't worry about what you look like after day one. You know, so there's that whole, not only is it a digital detox from our phones and internet, but also a, about the worry about how we present and how we look as far as trying to, you know, brush the hair a certain way or use makeup because there's none of that. Yeah, well, so, Zoe was a bit baffled. Take baff- me as you find me. <laughs> Zoe was a bit baffled how my hair always looks so good and I'm going... You were voted like- best hair on tour, Karen. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I certainly didn't look at my hair while I was on tour and she was convinced on the last night that I'd washed it in that little camp where we had those <laughs> and I'm going, no, I didn't. She said, I'm really disappointed that I thought you had. You are listening to Radio Northern Beaches 88.7 and 90.3, your community radio station. I have with me today Grant, Kath and Simon and we're talking about adventure holidays and letting people know how adventure holidays vary from other sorts of holidays and some of the great things that you can get up to. But to make sure you have a really good experience, what do you need, guys? I think one of the important things to do is to really do your homework beforehand on the organisation that is actually taking care of you while you're there and and, uh, and planning the whole thing and running the, the program. I think that there are, like everything, there are good organisations and, and poor organisations and, and those that are in between. And I think the more homework you can do, the more personal referrals from people that you can trust, the more reviews that you can can look at because... Um, you know, for example, the last one that we did, the organisation was just flawless, seamless yeah. from start to finish. They were fantastic, both in the planning phase and getting you ready and telling you what you needed to take, what you needed to do, what you needed to, you know, do in training, all of those things to the actual on-ground experience with the guides. Um, so I think that's really important. And the other one related to the guides is when you get to situations that are a little adventurous, whether that might be like you know your first real experience in significant altitudes um, or whatever it might be you've really got to listen to the guides you know you can be the fittest person in the world but you get taken into an environment that you're unfamiliar with um, you don't know best usually and uh, you've really got to follow the advice of those guides and there's lots of stories of people at altitude who might go there super fit but it doesn't necessarily make you any less resistant to the effects of altitude and you've got to be sensible and take your time and keep your hydration up and not eat too much and all of those sorts of things that they they tell you to do along the way. And two of the things was about for us with altitude was drinking lots of water and walking like you're 100. Mm. You know, you put that in your mind and you're thinking, walking like I'm 100, and it really is just one tiny step at a time. And one foot after the, uh, the other and just take your time and be guided by the guide in front. Mm. Yeah, And stop yeah. when you need to. Yeah. Because yeah. when you're up at 5,000 metres, you know, you've got about pretty close, Grant's probably 
better expert on this, but it's pretty close to 50% of the oxygen that you would get at sea level. So it's a very different environment for walking or doing any and form these, of exercise. These Even, people in Peru, their blood is, there's more cells, isn't there, to carry, what, Grant, explain it. What's, there's more blood floating. Yeah, more, more oxygen carrying capacity and more ability to extract that oxygen and turn it into useful work. So that they've... Um, genetically. Genetically been... Been selected out, and then by training, have also developed by exposure, continual exposure. So and that happens the longer you st- you're walking in places like yeah. that. It happens yeah. so we to all everybody. Can, everyone will develop, but it takes so. time. It yeah. doesn't happen just at the snap uh-huh. of a finger. Yeah. I think the other thing. So Simon's talking about uh, guided trips. It's also can be a terrific challenge and sense of adventure in finding self-guided activities and. doing the research and planning one to assess is this something i can safely do without a guide and is then there enough access to equipment companies how reputable and reliable are those and how do i put this together as a self-guided tour and can do self-guided trekking and um, bare boat sailing is another self-guided activity if you have some certain underlying skill level that's a higher skill level to do self-guided but all of these things are quite accessible and can also generate a real sense of enjoyment. Well, the Otago Trail we did with a company out of middle March. And once we collected our bikes and our little panniers, we rode on our own. We had places to stop and meet and accommodation, but really when you're out there in the day, it is up to you. You're, you're on the trail and it's your group alone. Kath, have you done any... Self-guided? Not, not a lot of self-guided. I've only done a few so far and they were all guided mainly in Tasmania, a few of the treks around Tasmania, Cradle Mountain and Beautiful. the East Coast. Yeah. Um, but so much more to do, Karen. And we forget just how many places in Australia, some of the, the wonderful adventure holidays that I know people are going on is swimming with whale sharks in Western Australia oh. and the mantra ra- rays and... Uh, and the humpbacks, all three of them are in around May, June, July. That's the best month there. And uh, they're things that I know so many people go and do. There was one more thing we were going to talk about. Lost luggage experience. We were going to talk about lost <laughs> luggage. Oh, my God, I've done that. You just have to suck it up when you lose it or grant. You buy it along the way. Yes, as you need to. Yes, as the need arises, and you go, I just can't do this next activity without replacing that the lost that makes item. me think of um anything you can't afford to lose on the ground at your destination carry with you on board whether it be um, trekking poles or more importantly hiking boots or ski boots and for me my hiking boots have my very very good orthotics mm. which cost me almost an arm and a leg mm. but i wouldn't have survived that trek yeah. without my orthotics in my shoes every day i mean they were the one piece of equipment with my hiking boots that were like an absolute essential. Yeah, that's hand luggage. Hand luggage. (laughs) Yeah, hand luggage. Well, guys, I have absolutely loved having you in the studio today. Um, Really got to know you on uh, the trek in Peru, and I'm looking forward to what have we got coming up maybe in the future? Um, As far as Cantu events, uh, next year we'll be doing part of the Camino Trail Mm -hmm. um, across the top of Spain, which should be a lot of fun. I think, you know, fairly serious walking, but it should be a pretty good culinary extravaganza as well, I suspect. Um, Are you camping, Simon, or are you... um... I think we'll be staying in little 
auberges or whatever the Spanish term is for that. Oh, there. <laughs> um, an eggplant. And there's <laughs> <laughs> That's an aubergine, isn't it? <laughs> We've also got Iceland. Uh, some people going to Iceland next year, which should be really amazing. And then we're looking at potentially Mongolia the year after, which could be really amazing. Well, I've put my hand up. I've put my hand up for Mongolia if that happens, because my niece did that, and they did part of it horseback riding, and up into the Gobi Desert as well. So I'm sort of looking forward to finding out more about that. And there will be a lot of planning go into that because it is two years away. Mm. And for me, next year, I'm looking at Kruger with a group of people. So that's my holiday for next year. But Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So Grant, you've done something I'm really envious of, Antarctica. Oh, yes. Now that is an incredible trip. We did it with a company that was basically an adventure touring company. So we had they called them adventure consultants, and every day there was an activity about getting off the ship, getting aboard the ice. We did kayaking. We signed up to the kayaking program down there, and it's extraordinary you ability. You do yeah. love kayaking. Yeah, that ability just to, to get out and amongst the icebergs and the whales was unbelievable. It was an extraordinary experience. And did you and Zoe decide to jump in that icy water? Uh, yes, yes, we did a bit of ice, ice exposure there too, so that was... Chilly. How chilly? So the piece where we swam just in our um, bold and beautiful swim scot gear was just, uh, that was was a balmy four or five degrees. Well, on that note, Grant, (laughs) I've got the chills. So thank you, everybody, for listening today. Thank you so much for joining me, Simon Simon. Thank you very much, Karen. Grant. Thank you. And Kath. Thank you, Karen. I really loved that you came in today to talk to us. Thank you for having us. Look forward to our next adventure. Yeah, the next adventure. So this is it for today's program. It's time to say cheerio to the wonderful Northern Beaches community. Join me next week for another episode of Aging Fearlessly. And now for a song written by Nick Howard, especially for the listeners. This is Karen Sander. Have a fantastic week. And remember, ageing is inevitable and growing old is a choice. The sun is shining bright outside. There's a sparkle in your eye. It's not all nine to five. It's a wonderful life. Let's go and climb mountains high Swim across oceans wide Live out our dreams, just you and me Let your heart be alive There's no time to waste Gotta go get the most out of time Like this treasure that you've got to find Baby, don't be shy Let's go and take that ride Taste the sweet and the spice Everything nice Let your heart be alive Baby, just let your heart come alive Honey, let your heart be alive